John, I appreciate it. What an honor to speak here at the Christ Life Clinic. It was F.B. Meyer who first used that expression concerning these type of meetings with the focus on Christ. He said they're different than Bible conferences. They're different than regular conferences because they really deal with the real issue of why Christians are not moving forward. And, brother, that's the truth. That's the reason why we're not moving forward, because this matter of Christ. Oh, we all know who Christ is. Amen. You know, he's the son of God and he's a third person, in the Trinity. And we, we understand all that. Or the second person, in the Trinity. You better get it right. But anyway, you know, we um, we do know that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but we uh, sometimes we just kind of gloss over that and we just assume we understand that that's all we need to know. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ is very pertinent to your life today as well as mine. I've invited you to take uh, the outlines that have been handed out. I don't have overheads, so uh, I have to have outlines. But uh, I think the White House got a hold of those overheads uh, because that's what I see our government doing. Uh, it's, it's a mess today, and when you leave Christ out... When you kick them out of the public schools, when you kick them out of the uh, the arena of men's affairs, uh, we end up what we've got. And if we're not careful, that's what we'll end up with in our churches, too. And we've got to make sure that Christ is the very center of what we do. Philippians chapter 1, turn there if you would with me, please. Familiar text we're heading towards. And you say, how does it relate to the topic? Well, you'll see in just a moment. Paul And Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. With that before us, let's pray. Father, we recognize today that by your Spirit will we learn the things that pertain to Christ. Spirit of God, we're thankful for your wonderful teaching ministry. If it were not for your illumination to our hearts and minds, we will never see the reality of the Christ life. I pray, dear God, that you would help us this day uh, to claim what is ours in Christ. And we ask also, Lord, that you would uh, uh, hold back the enemy and keep him from flooding our minds with questions that sometimes are just based upon preconceived ideas. And I pray, Father, that we might have our minds open to the truth of God's word, that we might see all that there is for us in Christ today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 6 is a familiar verse. I'm sure that many of us could quote it. What God has begun, He's promised to finish. But I'm going to ask you the question in relation to that verse, what is Christ doing in between that? In the time when you trusted Him as your Savior, and you're waiting for Him to return, what role does He play in your life right now? And I find that many of us, what we've done, and I've done it for years, and that is the matter of leaving Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, and I've ignored the fact that the Bible says He also seated in my heart. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is a present ministry in our lives. And and if we don't recognize that, we're not going to experience the Christ life. We can talk about it, but we're not going to experience it. Have you ever heard someone say, I've tried to live like that, but it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. 
Well, right on the front end, you ought to pick up on the fact that there's something wrong when they say it doesn't work. Because you know what? It doesn't work, but he does. You see? And that's the problem today. Many times we see the, the system of Christian living as a system, and we don't see it as a person. And Jesus Christ does work, and he wants to work in your life and in mine. I think one of the reasons why John invited me, Ray, to be the speaker in this conference is because I've, I've learned through the school of hard knocks what it is to try to do my best for Jesus. For 13 years as a pastor, I tried, I really I was sincere. I, I, I mean it. I mean, I wasn't doing it for men. I was doing it many times for myself to give me that peace that I was where God wanted me to be and doing what he wanted me to do. And certainly I wanted to be commended by the men in our camp. And so I was working real hard at it. And I was making a terrible mess of it in my life. Oh, not on the surface. No one would be able to tell me that outwardly, but inwardly it was a mess. I remember one night I was sharing my testimony with a pair of evangelists that came to our church in southern Alabama where I first pastored. And uh, back in 84 is when God opened my eyes and I was really um, looking for an answer to help my mother-in-law. My wife's mother was dealing with manic depressant problems and I mean, it was really bad. And every time she'd come down uh, from Illinois, she'd come down to Alabama and they'd come every year at least one time. And I know I'd have to deal with this matter of her depression, trying to help her. I just couldn't seem to get a handle on how to help her. And then one day a missionary came by that we were supporting over in Costa Rica. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, I really appreciate your prayers. He said, from for my family, he said, I'm, I'm home on this furlough because of my wife. And he began to talk about the depression she was under. And he said, I, I've gone. He said, he, he went to all kinds of Christian counseling clinics. And, and he said, I, I just can't get any help for her. And he said, but he said, I think I have the answer. Well, I was real interested in that. And he pulled out of his brief, briefcase a book that had kind of a funky title on it. It was Handbook to Happiness by Dr. Charles Solomon. And I thought, boy, that's, you know. Well, he said, I really think, you know, he mentioned he mentioned some some counselors that he had been with and people I had heard about that were kind of reputable. And he said, but I think I found the answer for my wife. And so without acting too excited on the front end, um, you know, because, you know, that's the way we are in our circles. If that name has not been mentioned to us before, if we haven't heard it in Bible college or if we haven't heard it in our churches from our pulpit, then we're suspicious of it. And let me say just real quick here concerning the books that Brother John has mentioned. Uh, Jesse Penn Lewis, at one of the conferences there in, in, in uh, Wisconsin, I remember I was standing at the table and one man was looking at it. He goes, that's a woman in it. You know, the problem is that we've gotten to the place in our independent fundamental circles that we're afraid of the women ever saying anything. And I'll tell you what, some of those ladies really understood the Christ life, I can tell you that. Uh, Jesse Penn Lewis is just one of them. Ruth Paxson is another. Uh, Hannah Woodall Smith. If you haven't read those books, man, get them, consume them. They're marvelous. And don't be afraid, men, to read them, that you might learn something from them. And sometimes we get this fear that somehow we can't learn anything from the women. Well, I'll tell you what, I have. And I thank God for these godly women and how God used them in past conferences and used them to write these wonderful books that we have today. Don't be afraid of them. God will bless you if you do so. But again, I got that book by Dr. Charles Solomon and I went and bought it and I start reading it. And really, to tell you the truth, in the first three or four chapters, it was kind of like talking about psychiatry. 
And Dr. Solomon had trained in that area, and so he was actually going through all the systems that men are using to help people to cope in the problems that they're facing in life. And uh, so after about the third chapter, fourth chapter, something like that, he begins to get into the Christ life. And he says, this is the answer. And you know what? I was reading that and studying that for my mother-in-law. I recognized the fact, you know, she wasn't the only one that had a problem. And I began to recognize the fact back in 1984 that what he was talking about is what I desperately needed. And what I needed was Jesus. Oh, I was saved. I trusted Christ when I was about seven years of age. But I'll tell you what, I wasn't accomplishing a whole lot. And what I was trying to accomplish, it was basically in my best effort, which was not very good. And so what we're talking about this week in the conference is, is what we need. But I, but I went back, I go back to the story of the two evangelists that came to my church and I was sharing with them what God had been doing in my life. Not in a boastful way. I was just excited. I was thrilled. And uh, I, I was sharing it after the service that night. And these two guys that uh, were being used of the Lord, uh, I, I was sharing what God had been doing in my life. And the one evangelist was kind of doing this, kind of going, mm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other one was sitting there just as quiet as could be. Well, that night, about one in the morning when we dismissed... Because it took us that long talking about this. Yeah, I was excited. I was thrilled about it. And the one was acting like, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. Well, he went to the trailer. And uh, his partner went into the restroom. And I was locking up. And he poked his head out of the bathroom. And he said, psst, psst, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. I said, I'd be glad to. And I remember sitting down with him. And he said, you know... I've been in evangelism for several years. And he says, what you're talking about, he says, I desperately need this. He says, I'm not having victory in my life. He said, when I'm in in, in revival, when I'm in these meetings, he said, everything's fine. It looks like to everybody else. But he says, I know what's going on in my mind. And he said, you know, it's not going to be too long. I'm engaged to a young lady and we're going to be married. And he said, I'm fearful of the leadership that I'm not going to provide. And he said, not only that, he said, you're the only one I've told this to. He said, in my trailer, I have a 357 Magnum, and I've had it to my head. He said, the frustration of trying to be what I know I should be, but what's going on in my life? And I said to this young man, I said, Christ is the answer. He is. And he began to consume the books that we were talking about and, and uh, blessed in his life. And in time, uh, even though he was enjoying victory... Uh, his ministry was very short because he ended up dying with a brain tumor and uh, left his wife and a little baby. But the other fellow who was always not his head and saying like, like he knew everything I was talking about. It was my 10th year anniversary at the church in southern Alabama. And I was kind of down, to tell you the truth. I was I was kind of disappointed. Uh, my daughter looked over at my wife and said, Mom, are they going to have any kind of a fellowship for us or anything like that and oh i said no honey probably they're not they they, they're probably not they've probably forgotten about it and of course we didn't forget about it and we were thinking you know well i've been here 10 years and no one's saying anything feeling sorry for myself you know pity party that was always fun to have and um you know if you can't have victory you can have pity you know but anyway (laughs) but um anyway here comes that evangelist in the back door with his wife and he's just beaming and he sits in the second row. And his wife sits next to my wife and she says, whatever you shared with my husband. 
He has been reading more books than I've ever seen him read. He's reading books by Ian Thomas, and he's reading books by uh, 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 um, the other name at this time slips me, but uh, F.B. Meyer, Andrew Murray, uh, some others I can't think right now that he was reading at the time. But she said he's reading more books than he's ever read. And she says, he's different. You know, folks, why are we so intimidated by what we have not experienced? Is it that we're proud that we don't want to admit that we haven't learned something? Uh, you know, the, the, the worst of us are those that have gone to Bible college and seminary. Uh, we think we've already got it. And when someone presents something that seems new to us, well, we have a hard time. Well, again, as we talk about this matter of people saying, you know, uh, looking at your outline, you know, I've tried it, but it doesn't work. You know, a lot of times we'll go to our Bibles and we'll turn to First John chapter 2 and we'll look at verse 19 and we'll say, well, they went out from us, but they were not all of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have, no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And unfortunately, many times when we have people leave our churches, that's the verse we use to justify it. But the context wouldn't help us to do that. Because the context is talking about people that profess something that they don't have. And you know, some people that are saying they tried it and it doesn't work, that's where they're at. But let me say this, I'm convinced in 43 years of ministry that a majority of those people are just people who have tried to live the Christian life in their own strength. And they just got tired. I think of a young man one time when I was pastoring in southern Alabama, just when I was about the time learning about uh, how Christ wanted to minister in and through me instead of me just trying to do things for him. And there was a young man, a teenager, that uh, was one of those young men that was promising, seemed like to be a promising young man that seemed to be really on fire and wanting to do what was right. But about every other week, he is coming forward to rededicate his life. And I remember one Sunday morning after the service, he was very discouraged. And he said to me, he said, you know, I'm just tired of coming forward. I'm tired. I didn't realize what he was saying to me. He was dropping out. We didn't see him anymore in church. In time, he ended up going down to Oral Roberts University. Ended up becoming a Pentecostal healing ministry type pastor. Ruined his life, ruined his marriage that later took place. Uh, still didn't find the secret, and I was still searching for the secret myself at the time. But I think there's a lot of folks that have just dropped out because they've gotten tired of the defeat that they were experiencing. Andrew Murray had an interesting statement in one of his books, The New Life, tremendous book. Page 96 and 97, he said this, Listen carefully to it. He says, as long as the Christian life of service and of God or sanctification as something that is hard and difficult, he will make no progress. He must see that this very thing is impossible for him. It's impossible for him. And then he'll cease endeavoring to do something and he will surrender himself so that Christ may work his all in all in him. Well, folks, that's the way it works. A lot of times we have to get to the end of ourselves before we begin to say, as Brother Otto was saying today, we call out to God and say, God, I need your help. And that's how it begins. We finally come to a place where we recognize that we cannot accomplish what God has told us to do. The greatest frustration 
Here's your outline again. The greatest frustration occurs when you try to do your best for Jesus. That's when the greatest frustration is. I mean, you hear a stirring message and you say, you know what? I've just got to. I, this time I'm going to do it. This time I'm really going to make a difference. And that's the time you're going to have the greatest failure. Because what you're doing is saying, I'm going to take charge. I'm going to do it. And I don't need Christ. Oh, we don't say that. No one says, I don't need Christ. But the very fact that we step into the role of trying to perform for God is the very act of saying, I will take charge and I will do what only He can do. There's only one person who can live the Christian life, and that's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one. There is only one Christian life. And if you're a child of God today, you're sharing what I'm sharing, His life. And He is willing and ready to work in through any one of us that are willing to yield ourselves to Him. Let this Christ live His life through you. That's the secret. The victorious life that He arose with is the life that He wants to flood your life with and give you the victory. Number one in the outline says, The abiding, living presence of Christ is in the heart and life of every believer is the clear teaching of Scripture. Think of it. Galatians 2.20. What did Paul say? Not I, but Christ liveth where? In me. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21. You're right there if you still have your Bibles open. There to the first chapter. Paul said, According as my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified where? Yeah, in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Over in chapter 2, in verse 13, the Apostle Paul continues by saying, For it is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of His good pleasure. And though the person of the Trinity is not mentioned there that is doing that work, let's turn to Colossians chapter 1 and see what the Apostle Paul said about this mystery. He said in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 25, he said, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from generations that now is made manifested to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? You know, for years, you know what I preached on that? I said, this verse is telling us if you don't have Christ, you're not saved. But that's not what the verse is saying. The word glory is dogza. It means a manifestation of God. You know what our communities need? They need to see that Christ is alive. And you know how they're going to see it? Through you and me. And this is the mystery because up to this time, no one was possessed with Christ. Up to this time, the word mystery there, Paul uses it repeatedly, is talking about a truth that up to that time has not been revealed. And he's saying, now is the time for it to be revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The tragedy is we're in the 21st century and it's still a mystery to most of us. C.I. Schofield, you know that name? Wow. You know, you, you heard the expression, you know, someone say, I'll swear on the top of a stack of Bibles. Well, in Bible college and seminary, it was a stack of Schofield Bibles, you know. C.I. <laughs> Schofield, 
Listen to what he said. Now, remember, he wrote back in the late 1800s. This was probably written in the early 1900s. And he said this in his book, New Life in Jesus Christ. In reference to John 10 and verse 10, where he said, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. C.I. Schofield made this comment. He said, this was the note, the new note in the message of Jesus Christ. It fell for the most part upon uncomprehending ears. After 19 centuries of alleged gospel preaching, it is still for the most part uncomprehended. It hasn't gotten much better. It's not a message that's being preached today. The young evangelist I was talking about a while ago, no sooner did he enter into that understanding that he began to put tapes on his table concerning that. And then years later, I saw him and I said, where, where are the tapes? He goes, Terry, it doesn't preach. People are not accepting that. So what he has done is a lot, a lot of us do. We'll accept it here. And then when we leave here, we say, well, you know, there's not a lot of people accepting this. We're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks. And folks, we need to recognize the fact that C.I. Schofield is right on target. He went on to say in that same paragraph, he said that Christ was a teacher of ethics, as in the Sermon on the Mount. We understand. That He died for our sins upon the cross, as a fact. We understand. That He changed the issue from righteousness by works to righteousness by faith, moving the center from Mount Sinai in Arabia to Mount Calvary in Judea is understood. Now listen to this last statement. But that he came to impart to believing human beings a new quality of life, even the very life which was and is in himself, is not understood. Folks, we, we've got to understand that this is, a, this is not a peculiar uh, teaching that somehow we just pick up. Ian Thomas said this in my church. He said, avoid it at your own expense. At your own expense. I fear, point number two, that the average Christian considers what Christ did and praise God that he did do it. That he came and he died upon the cross of Calvary, paid the sin penalty. Amen. Praise God for that. And that he was buried and then three days later he arose from the dead. Amen. And then he ascended. And there he is. Watching us work for Him. That's the way the average Christian sees the presence of Christ today. It's in heaven. He's there. See at the right hand of the Father. And you say, but the Bible says He does. He does. And we'll look at that a little bit more in just a little bit. He is, but remember, He's God. And one of the attributes of deity is omnipresence. He is seated at the right hand of the Father bodily. And one day I'm going to see that body, praise God. But right now... I can know Him here in my heart and life and experience a walk with Him in fellowship. But what about, you know, the, the prevalent teaching that says this. The Holy Spirit came to take Christ's place. The Christ came, did what He did for us, and then He ascended to heaven and sent His Holy Spirit to take His place. Well, not to take His place but to remind us where Jesus does abide. And I want you to see this for yourself in John chapter 14. Maybe it's there. It's not something that we have to really search for. It's right there. 
But look at the 14th chapter, and we'll pick up our reading at verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another comforter. And praise God, the word another there is the Greek word that means another of the same kind. Okay? Another of the same kind, comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And like, let me pause for a moment there. And the word comfortless there is literally the Greek word for orphan. So Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you orphans. Well, he goes on to show us what he means by that. Yet a little while... And the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, now what do you suppose that day, when he said a little while, at that day something's going to happen? I believe it's talking about Pentecost. I believe it's talking about Pentecost. And at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and what's it say? How could we miss that? I in you. You see, it's not that the Holy Spirit has come to take His place. The Holy Spirit's come to help us to be reminded of where Christ lives and why He's there. Chapter 16, look at verses 13 and 14. Verse 15 also. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. Look at verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and will show it unto you. You know what he's saying? The Spirit of God is going to take the things that belong to me, and he's going to make them known to you. If the Spirit of God is going to get our attention, we're going to see Christ. There's no way to study your Bible with an open heart and give reverence to the Spirit of God and not catch the lesson that he's teaching. I have the joy of, I was telling Brother Otto that I have the privilege of working somewhat with uh, students that come out of uh, our U program there in Rockford. And I teach in the college that they started, not just for those students, but a lot of those students, they come through the program and they say, you know, I want to know more about the Lord. I want to grow in the Lord. And they say, well, you know, we have a college program and they can audit it or they can come in for credit. And so for three years now, I've been teaching in that college. And uh, it, it, the blessing of teaching people that have come through that program is that they're like sponges. And they don't have these preconceived ideas already that they've learned from somebody else. But they're open to what the Bible says. And you begin to share. And that whole ministry, by the way, that whole ministry revolves around the truth that we're preaching. That's the reason why they're having results. And so here we have opportunities to teach, but here's my illustration. I sometimes seven, I think seven is the most students I've had in a class. And uh, I always have a good time with the class. I enjoy the students and they enjoy me. But suppose we come to the end of the semester and we're studying the life of Christ. And they're, they're just, they just are constantly bringing me things. One girl used to bring always these baked goods from home, you know, and she'd bring enough for the whole class, and we'd just enjoy a little snack there before class time. And uh, so, you know, we've always had a good relationship with the students, but you know what? I wouldn't be real pleased at the end if all seven students failed the course. 
I, I wouldn't say, but you know, they really like me. I really feel really, really fulfilled because they like me. Do you understand that the Spirit of God is not impressed when we say we love Him and appreciate Him, but we're not getting the lesson He's teaching us? He's wanting us to see that Christ is what makes the life work. He takes the things of Christ and makes them known unto you. Verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that He shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Well, are we listening to the teacher? Well, if we listen this week, we're going to be listening to the teacher. I'm not talking about I'm not the teacher. I trust the Spirit of God will be the teacher. And then as we listen to the Word of God, which was inspired by the teacher, huh? and this book, you know, this book is basically, you know what it is? Dr. Robert Hughes was one of my professors when I was working on a postgraduate degree. This man had two earned doctorate degrees. He lived with John Rice for several years. And this man was a scholar. I remember sitting in a class, and he held up the Bible. He says, fellas, you know what this is? And we're going, yeah, it's the Word of God. Yeah, it's the Bible. He said, this is a Jesus book. That's what this is. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, He's in it. And the Spirit of God would help us to see that. But if we're not even seeing His present ministry in our lives right now, how far are we going to get? Oh, listen, we've got to understand that the Spirit of God is here to teach us. This is so important, and we might ask, as the the outline says, why is this so important? Remember in John chapter 15, Jesus used the analogy about the vine and the branches. Remember what He said in verse 5? He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do Everyone knows the answer, but we live as if we didn't understand it. Without Christ, there is no fruit. And, 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 and we're longing for fruit, and many times we're trying to do it in our own effort, and we're doing it with total dedication and with all that our flesh can produce. <laughs> and that's the problem. God's not interested in dedicated flesh. He's interested in what his son can find available in you oh my did the early church understand this turn to mark's gospel it's interesting mark's gospel ends and a lot of times we get hung up and of course we have our scholars that say you know this portion doesn't belong in the bible and 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 we get hung up there but look at the last chapter chapter 16 and let's get down to verses 19 and 20 So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now, the chapter doesn't end there, does it? See, that's where we want to keep Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're so glad that he's looking down from time to time and peeking down and see how we're doing, you know. But look at verse 20. And they, the early church, went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. And confirming the word with signs following. Well, that's what the Lord wants to do in the 21st century. Are we going to let him? Are we going to let him? You know, uh, a simple illustration that came to my mind one day because I kept on thinking to myself, you know, I know you can talk about that God is omnipresent and Jesus is God, so he's omnipresent. But 
somehow it seemed like there was always this question mark in people's minds about Christ really being here. You know, they could understand, you know, he's in my heart in the sense that I love him. Uh, he's in my heart because I appreciate what he's done for me. But the Christ that's seen in the book of Acts and seen in the gospel accounts, this living Christ, this resurrected Christ, really living here? How's it possible? Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3. Familiar text, is it not? About Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. And in the third chapter, it's interesting, we have this statement in verses 10 through 13. John chapter 3. And let's begin reading at verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and you believed not, how shall you believe? If I tell you of heavenly things. Now look at verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven... Even the Son of Man, which is, see what it says? In heaven. He's talking to Nicodemus, and he's saying, I'm the one who came down from heaven, but I'm in heaven right now. Because Jesus never ceased to be God. There's no time in his life when he was anything less than 100% God. And while he's talking to Nicodemus about spiritual things, and Nicodemus is going, wait, you know, I'm supposed to know all this, and he doesn't. Jesus is saying, I'm standing here talking to you, and yet I'm in heaven right now. Do you see it's changed now that now physically he's in heaven and spiritually he's here? What a beautiful truth. You won't find that in your modern translations. It's been left out. It's an amazing thing. Well, have you been trying to do your best for Jesus? Have you been trying to live for Jesus? Forget it. You're waging a losing battle, a noble effort, but it'll fail. I'll just tell you on the front end, I experienced it in my life. Donald G. Barnhouse, one of those brethren that understood the Christ life, he signed in a New Believer's Bible, you have the quote there in your notes, it's not what you do for Christ that counts, it's what you let Him do through you. See, he understood that. Somehow we've lost that. Somehow it's not, it's not, it's not being lifted up as the truth that we need to understand today. And yet our churches are in desperate need of it. Only Christ can fully satisfy the Father. So we must learn to let this Christ that satisfies the Father do the work in and through us. As simple as this lesson is, yet many Christians have a hard and miserable time learning it. Hudson Taylor, one of the great modern missionaries, considered one of the great, one of the greats of the modern missionary movement. He said this. He said, I used, and this was at the end of his ministry, by the way. He said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up asking him to do his work through me. That's why we remember Hudson Taylor. Because he had lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. Now, does this mean that 
all the efforts that Hudson Taylor put in before and all the efforts I put in for 13 years in my church in southern Alabama that there was no fruit? Oh, there, there was fruit. God is a patient God and a loving God, and I'm glad he doesn't hold us to the line when it comes to understanding everything about him. But I think it comes a time when we recognize through failure in our own lives that God is saying there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a lasting way. A fruitful way. Now, sometimes we hear people say something like this. They'll say, uh, after you preach something like this, they'll say, well, you know, that's new. That's, that's, that's new truth. Well, let me tell you something. It's not new. It may be new to you, but it's not new to God. And what we've got to understand is that we've got to stop being intimidated by those who say, you know, sounds like a new truth. I remember talking to Ian Thomas about that. I, you know, was kind of stumbling around with some of my terminologies. And I said, this new truth. And he goes, what new truth? And I said, you know what we're talking about, what you're preaching. I says, it's not new. It's in the Bible. It's been there all along. He said, we, we hurt the cause of Christ when we start joining in with those and saying, look at this new truth. It's not new. God is wanting us to learn it and experience it in our lives. What did Paul say in Philippians 4.13, folks? I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. Is that new truth? It's been there all along. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Wow. This is so exciting because God has made himself so clear. If we're, if we're looking for the truth, we'll find it. And Hebrews chapter 13, let's look at verses 20 and 21. Here, end of the chapter, many times in our Bible reading, you know, well, got to another book. Now I move to the next one. And it's amazing how many of these marvelous truths are at the end of the chapters. But look at verses 20 and 21. The author of Hebrews says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, now, note verse 21. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you. That which is well-pleasing in his sight. If we missed it, we can't miss it now through Jesus Christ. Folks, that's how we're to work. We're to depend upon Christ. We need to ask him to do his work in through us. We need to get out of the way. And we need to yield ourselves to Him on a daily basis. Now, I'll tell you the way I have to do it. It has to be almost hour by hour, if not minute by minute. Because, you know, the longer you're in the ministry, those of you that are pastors and full-time Christian work, the longer you're in the ministry, evangelism, pastor, the longer you're in it, the easier it is to say, I can handle this. I've done this before, you know. I mean, I just, you know, I get up in the pulpit and open the Bible. I'm using God's Word. And, and I preach the Word of God. And I'm so used to doing it, I didn't even need God today. Well, we need Christ. We need Him desperately. New truth. It's interesting, the old hymn that George Duffield Jr. wrote, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. His arm of flesh shall fail Your arm of flesh shall fail you. You dare not trust your own. What about Mary E. Maxwell, who wrote, Channels only, blessed Master, but with all Thy wondrous power flowing through us, Thou canst use us every day and every hour. Friends, it's not new truth. It's forgotten truth. Charles Trumbull, and I've given you the quote here. He said in his book, Victory in Christ, 
Jesus Christ does not want to be our help. He wants to be our life. He does not want to work us to work for Him. He wants us to let Him do His work through us. Using us as we use a pencil to write with. Better still, using us as one of His fingers of His hand. Wow. You know what? What a liberating truth. You know, God's not looking for stellar performance on your behalf and mine. It's liberating. God's not looking for superstars, people that have exceptional talents. They have certain abilities. And boy, God's looking for that, that effort that will make you look like Christ. No, Paul said, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yeah, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, what about responsibility, preacher? You know, the problem with this, this, this Keswick stuff, this, this, uh, Christ life stuff, this victory in Christ stuff, it's, it's pacifism. It's just teaching people to sit back and watch Christ do something. I mean, what does the Bible say? It talks about this matter of striving and wrestling and training and mortifying and, and, and contending. What about that, preacher? You know what? That's the kind of steadfastness you and I need to perpetrate when it comes to the matter of abiding in Christ. But you see, it's not our striving. It's not our struggling. It's not our talents. It's not our ability. It's not how tight we roll up our sleeves. It's Christ. The struggle is being dependent upon Him. Because my flesh doesn't want to do that. Because you know what? If it's Christ that's getting the, the glory, then guess what I'm getting? Well, if I'm walking in Christ, I'm enjoying the ride. Elephant was walking across a bridge. On the back of the elephant was a little flea. As the elephant was crossing the bridge, the bridge collapsed. And the flea said, look what we did. Now, not being irreverent, the elephant is referring to not you. But many times we want to take the credit for what Christ is doing. And it's Christ who will do what God expects and will produce lasting fruit. Yes, we're to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But it's not in our strength, it's to be in His. Here's another illustration that helps me to comprehend this principle, and that is, you go to the doctor, and he goes, I know exactly what you've got. And you go, oh, good. And he says, I've got the medicine that you need. Now, take this medicine, and you're so excited, you say, yeah, thank you, doctor, I'll see you. He said, no, wait a second, look at me. Take it three times a day. I got it, doc, take it every day. No, 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 look right here, my mouth, three times a day. Oh, three times a day, yeah, now you got it. You take the medicine home, you take it three times a day, you go for an entire week, and it's, it seems to be working, so you get it, the prescription filled, praise God for those samples they give, you know. But you go to get it refilled, and, and three times a day I'm taking it, and at the end, the prescription, before you're even finished, you're feeling great, and this disease is gone, and you say, you know what, I'm so glad I was diligent. I was so glad I was disciplined three times a day. No, you know what you say? I'm so glad the doctor had the right medicine. Your diligence was applying what works. And Jesus Christ is the one who will work if we let Him. 
But we've got to recognize the fact that our best efforts, our dedication, our determination to do our best for Him is not what He's looking for. He's not looking for our best ability. He's looking for our availability. Mary Maxwell said, channels only, blessed Master, with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, thou canst use us. Ian Thomas said this, he said, any old drain pipe will do. Any old drain pipe will do. God's not looking for spectacularness. He's not looking for superabundant effort on our behalf. He's looking forward to diligent dependence upon Him. You abide in me and I'll abide in you. And I'll produce the fruit. And you'll rejoice with me in what God has done. Hey, will you make yourself available to Him today? You see, that's what we need to be doing. We need to understand that God is not displeased because I get moved in a message about the cross. He's not mad if I shed tears because I think about my lack of dedication and His determination to be faithful to the cross. God's not disappointed, but when we think that is the source of our energy to do the work of God, that's when He's displeased. Instead of saying, Lord, my weakness is to my benefit. Remember Paul, his testimony? He said, Lord, I got this problem and three times I'm asking you, please take it from me. And the Lord said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And you know what Paul did? Here's the great apostle Paul. Instead of saying, now wait a second, I sat in the Gamaliel. You understand, I've already done a lot of things for you. Paul said, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what? God says this. You exchange your weakness for my strength and I'll be glad to take it. And I fear that too often we're looking forward to giving him our strength. Our best effort. When he's waiting for us to say, Lord, I don't have it. It's not there. My best day. You know, one of the things that's really helped me in the ministry in recent years is getting a real definition of some of these key verses in the Bible or key words like the matter of grace. Man, people have destroyed that word. We've got people that say grace is God just doing everything and we just sit back and stand in awe of his sovereignty and and all that. Listen, let me tell you something. What grace is, is God's unmerited favor, but it goes beyond that. It's God's enabling His enablement for you to do what He's called you to do. And every time I see the word grace, I put enablement there. Enablement, enablement. God is going to give me the ability to do what I can't do. Faith. It's another word. We use it all the time. And we say, that's believing God. Well, it is. But it's depending upon God because what God said is true. It's my dependence upon Him. It's what you're doing right now in those pews where you're at. I haven't seen anybody stacking hymn books underneath the pew to make sure it holds you up. You're just trusting it. You're resting in it. Friends, that's what faith is. It's a dependence. It's a rest in Christ. He's big enough for the job. But we just haven't made ourselves available. 
Oh, how we need to make ourselves available to Him today. I trust that in the sessions that follow, not just the sessions I'm going to be bringing, but the other sessions that we are going to be hearing. And boy, I, I, after I heard Brother Coning this morning, I said, oh boy, I got to be up next. <laughs> I said, boy, I got to come up with some good ones here. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying, man, I tell you, that was a blessing to my soul. Amen. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow. And, and I told Brother Coning this, or maybe I didn't. I, t- I said I was going to say this, but that book, The Pineapple Story, was a real key in opening my eyes to beginning to see. Because what I saw, and we're going to see it tomorrow's message that I'm going to bring. Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Boy, I start studying that on my own, not reading any of his commentaries, just reading it, doing a word study there. And I'm looking at that, and I see that Christ laid aside something. He laid aside rights. And I, I listened to that story, and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm claiming my own rights. I'm claiming, I, I, I'm claiming the right to pastor a church. I'm claiming the right to have a son. I had two daughters at that time. We were in the midst of revival. My wife was in her sixth, sixth month. Six weeks into the pregnancy. And I was so excited. I said, Lord, this is my son. I I deserve a son. I deserve a son. And during the revival, she had a miscarriage. And I said, there's my son. I'm sure it was a son. I don't know what it was. I'll know when I get to heaven. But, you know, again, I was feeling sorry for myself. Pity party. You know, I'm pastoring down here in southern Alabama. I mean, who wants to pastor down here? I'm willing to do it. And I'm, I'm struggling for you down here. You know, and I'm sweating it out down here. And uh, well, Brother Coning was talking about, uh, I, I'm sure that southern Alabama is a lot like Papua New Guinea, I can tell you. And I'm talking about heat, and I'm hot all the time. And, and, and I'm saying, Lord, you know, I deserve this. I deserve a son. And I deserve a larger ministry. We're in a community of 600. I only have a church of 120. Not too bad. <laughs> you know, and there was eight other churches in that community. But still in my mind, I was thinking, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And it was about that time is when I read that story. And I said, Lord, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve anything. I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. And you know, when I came to that point and then began to see that Christ was the one who was going to fill that, which I thought was going to be a big void in my life, you know, boy, I'm giving up all my rights. You know, I'm going to really be stretched here. Now I had room for Christ. And I remember how exciting, and it was like, and, and please, when you're reading some of these books of the old timers, don't, don't, don't get scared when you see some of them refer to a second blessing. You know, when, when I came to understand that Christ was my life, I'm telling you, I came home that day, I'm sure my feet were on the ground, but I didn't feel like they were. I'm telling you, I was so excited. I felt like I had been converted. I knew I wasn't. I mean, I already was, but, but, but I was so excited what God was doing in my life and what I was beginning to see. And I, I felt so sorry for the fact that I had neglected Christ in that personal way. But, you know, we need to come to that place of recognizing that what we have to offer to the Lord is weakness. You know, you might have years of pastoring. You might have years of experience preaching to large crowds and preaching to groups of people that others don't have an opportunity to. Let me tell you something. Without Christ, you're still weak. You're still weak. And we desperately need today to preach. I was given an opportunity to preach at a college campus several years ago, speaking to a group of about 6,000 really that day. 
biggest crowd I ever spoken to. And I, I said, Lord, why am I going to need you today to do this? That's for sure. And I really was depending upon the Lord. And and uh, messages like this, I was this was on my heart. And I thought, no, nah, I better not preach this, you know. Better not preach it. And God said, no, that's what I want you to preach. And so I preached. And after the service, chapel service that day, I was supposed to speak two days and one day in church. One of the professors came up to me, a vice president of the college, in fact. He says, do you have any more messages like that? I said, praise God. I said, yeah, I got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> and you know, when I preached that day, I mean, I'm telling you, you looked in the eyes of the students and they were going, wow, we need this. They weren't enamored with me. They were enamored with the message. And it was encouragement and it was help. And, and, and I said, thank you, Lord, for helping me to have the backbone to say, you know, here I'm going to speak in one of the largest settings I've ever been in. And I'm going to back down from the message that's on my heart. But I didn't. And God blessed it. And I thank God for those opportunities. And I hope that we'll all have opportunities. And most of our opportunities will be one-on-one. Even as pastors will be one-on-one with people. Like the missionary comes in my office and we're talking and I begin to talk about what Christ has done in my life. And not in a braggadocious way because there's nothing for us to brag about. It's what he's doing. It's not what we're doing. We're just we're, we're providing the weakness. He's providing the strength. And, and, and so I'm sharing that. And, and you know how many times I've had them say, do you have anything I can read about that? Do you have anything I can read? And, and, and be patient. You know, I, I'm convinced. I am convinced that... Most of us in our independent circles are about as deaf to this teaching as Roman Catholics are to faith alone in Christ. You talk to a Catholic, we got a lady coming to our church right now, and she's still doing this after the end of the service, you know. And she said this to me. She said, you know, my neighbor was asking, how come, how come, how come you're not going to the Catholic church now? And she said, well, she said, because they don't have the message. They don't have the message. Memorial has the message. She hasn't really gotten the message yet, but she knows there's something there. But you know, the truth of the matter is, people are really hungry for the truth. And we've got to stop having this timidity. And, and well, I don't know, you know, Jesse Penn Lewis is a woman preacher probably, you know, better not read her. Ruth Paxton, you better not read her. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. If you read that, you'll get an understanding of what the Christ life is all about. I can tell you that. I'm telling you, we need to learn, and I'm still learning, and I'm so excited about it. And when Brother John asked me to come and speak at this, I said, Whoa, I don't know, you know, but I'll just share what God's been teaching me. And, you know, maybe someone else will learn something through it, too. But, you know, God is good, and I'm so glad He's patient. For 13 years, I was trying to do my best for Jesus for the last 30 years, I've been allowing Jesus, asking Him to be my life on a daily basis. Well, do you have a real large church in the community? No, we've got a pretty small church. In fact, it's a church that was destroyed by some false doctrine. Back about seven years ago, we had a split in that church. It just tore the heart out of it out. 150 people left one Sunday over some strange teaching about grace. And you know what? After leaving the church in Memphis, 25 years of pastoring there, my father-in-law, 94 years of age at the time, 93, when we accepted that church, knowing it had gone through its problems, knowing it was in its death throes, I said, God, if you can use me there, if you can help me to help that church, I'm willing to take that responsibility. 
And we've been there. And you know what? I'm content. God has put me where he's using me. Speaking in the college, helping these students that are like a sponge wanting to know more. Wow, I'm telling you what, that keeps me there. I'm telling you. Because when people are hungry and you've got something to feed them, it's a great, great feeling to lay your head down at night and say, Lord Jesus, you did a good job today. You did a good job. Oh, let's, let's learn more this week. Let, let, let's pray that God would really use this conference to really, Brother John, just to really ignite something again. You know, you go back to those early meetings and there wasn't always a big crowd in the front end. And Satan resisted it and fought against it because he hates Christ. Brother Coning is absolutely right. Anytime you talk about Christ, Satan is going to do what he can to stop you. We've got to be steadfast and movable, keeping our focus on Him. Father, we pray that that would be our determination. God, help us, Lord, to recognize that You have everything we need. We don't have to be in the pastorate. don't have to be an evangelist. We can be a housemaker, homemaker, raising children. Oh, how we need Christ. Lord, how our children need to see the reality of Christ in our homes. Lord, you said there in Colossians that the mystery has been revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lord, for our neighbors to see the reality of a risen Christ, they have to see Him through us. May we make ourselves available channels. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.